Scripture reading is from Hosea chapter 1. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. Amen. On Thursday, I kind of was looking at what we might be doing today, and I thought, now there's for Fitzroy, as normal and functional a service as it possibly could be. And then, it seems really that a sermon is well after the the horses bolted this morning. But we want to come to this passage in Hosea and we want to look at it together in our series in Hosea and we want to think about it and bring it back perhaps to what we've already been talking about. What does your name mean? I've already shared that with you. What mine means and uh, why Jasmine Grace is certainly the greatest part of that. And at the time when we were leading up to um, Jasmine's arrival, um, it was the decade really, the 90s I feel were the decade of What's So Amazing About Grace uh, by Philip Yancey. And I think that book had an incredible impact across um, evangelicalism, across the Western world really. And certainly um, I actually think Charles Swindle's um, Grace Awakening is maybe as good if not a better book, but Yancey's seemed to to hit something and I think as I was talking to my students and meeting with students who were definitely having to strive 
all the time to feel loved, that it was a wonderful message to bring to them that they were loved as they were. And we had come up with Jasmine Grace as a name, and then a couple of things after we'd come up with that name were really interesting for me. One, a student came to me one night after one of my events and said, you know, if this baby's a girl, you should call her Grace, because you're always talking about Grace. And I said, oh, that would be an interesting idea. Thank you for that one. And then, as you're well aware, one of my favourite bands and Mr. Hunter's favourite band, you too come out with a, an album where there was a song called Grace, based, ironically, or maybe coincidentally, on Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace? And they had taken Yancey's book and they'd made this beautiful meditative piece at the end of that album where they said in one of the lines, Grace, a name for a girl or a thought that can change the world. We'll come back to that. But we're talking about names this morning. We're talking in this next part of this passage about the names that Hosea decided to give his children. Or God told him to give his children. You've got to think about them. Jezreel, which maybe on the surface, and we'll come back to it, doesn't mean that much, but it will. After Jezreel, not loved. Hello, my little not loved. And not my people, or not my child. Hello, not my child. These are depressing names. There was a bit of, way back, my favorite TV show was The Rise and Fall of Reginald Perrin. It'll be for, oh, I, I'm glad they're in the house. There's a few in the house. It'll be one of those things that because Jonathan has told you what generations you're not in, this will also tell you what generation maybe you're not in. But there was a wonderful night, and I can't remember the name, but he was on the phone and he said, and who are you? And the guy said something like, uh, I am Humberdink Goodwillie Smythe. And um, Perrin went, oh, bad luck, bad luck. And um, I've used it occasionally ever since in a kind of a humorous way. Bad luck if you have a, an awkward, I'm sorry if there's any humperdink Goodwillie Smythes in the house. I do apologize, we're, we're not trying to take personal offense. But the name, bad luck, I mean, these children, or this acting out, poof. And of course the reason for it was there in what um, Philip read for us earlier, uh, what we read last week. Uh, Hosea's to go and marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. This, is, this whole book is built around this unfaithfulness to the Lord. And just in passing, isn't it lovely how um, the Good News Bible cleans up the word whore as well, just for public whatever. But that's in passing. We talked about that last week. This is an unfaithful nation. And because of the unfaithfulness of the nation, these three children get these names. Hosea prophesies in the 8th century. Now, I'm no Old Testament 
I'm glad Desi's out. He's out teaching today. Great one. Phew. Um, the Lord is good. Um, I'm, I'm no Old Testament historian or, or theologian at all, but uh, because you're doing Hosea, you have to. I'm looking up things I never thought I would look up. Uh, he's in the 8th century BC. It kind of, well, if you look at the first verse and you see that um, the writer talks about Jeroboam uh, in Israel and um, then a list, of the, uh, and a list of the kings of Judah, Jeroboam II was 782 to 753 BC. The kings of Judah that's mentioned in Hosea run from Josiah to Hezekiah, which is 767 to 684. That's 100 years. So what we've got to work out is that he was in for Jeremiah, Jeroboam II. No, he yes. And then he was still around when Hezekiah took up his reign in 715. So there's about 60 or 70 years here of this century that Hosea spans. And the prophecy doesn't mention those kings after Jeroboam II. And maybe there's a reason for that. Uh, the sort of, well, the, the name Jezreel that we'll come to now talks about uh, a, a place where there was a great bloodbath um, in, in the nation's history. But um, when, uh, when Jeroboam II came off the throne, Zechariah took over in 753 and was killed a year later by Shalom, who didn't make it through the year before Menahem killed him. And then after Pekiah seemed to take the throne, um, he was killed uh, literally a year after he took over as well. So Jeroboam II is the only one, but there's this sense within the nation of a vengeance, of a bloodthirstiness, of a, a nation not at all revealing a faithfulness to the Lord. The country, as Captain Boyle would tell us in Juno and the Peacock, was in a state of chassis. After a period of peace and stability and general safety because their neighboring sort of powers were distracted away from Israel and Judah, after a period when it was pretty safe and there was a real sense of prosperity, that prosperity gave way, as it often does, to greed at the cost of others, to the misuse of God's creation and to religious lethargy, pluralism, and all kinds of other things. So I guess, for a moment, we might, or in this series, we're going to unpack this nation in a state of chassis and ask ourselves about our own state in our nation. Just a couple of quick thoughts on these names. Jezreel. Well, Jezreel... Um, would be like us deciding we will call our children. You've heard why I've called mine mine. You could share with each other after or why you get your name. Um, uh, afterwards might be an interesting thing over coffee. But um, can you imagine, Jezreel, imagine you've decided, oh, I'm going to, yeah. Calling your child Jezreel would be a bit like calling your child this morning, particularly Twin Towers or Baghdad. Or Uma. Or Lochan Island. A place where the bloodthirsty shed lots of blood. We read it in Second Kings 10 if you want to go back to the story. Jehu seems to be one of trickery, butchery, hypocrisy and fanaticism as well as self-interest and bloodlust. 
And whatever he did in Jezreel, God's going to call this child Jezreel to remind the people that he's aware of their past crimes. Not loved. Some, just, some translations would say not pitied. Uh, Eugene Peterson, who I think is really interesting if you're reading Hosea, because he does expound it as he goes, and it's very helpful to read. If you're doing Hosea um, as we go along, and I know at least one house group is, then to have Eugene Peterson beside you is a really good help. He says, no mercy. Now, Jezreel, it's a place, it's a point in history, it's not great, but as we've said, not loved, no mercy, not pitied. Could you imagine when that child did something wrong in the house? Come you here, no mercy. Not my people. Not my child. Perhaps as we would believe here, Hosea's first child was his. But taking that promiscuous woman meant that the second and third weren't even his. So not my child might have had some connotation to that unfaithfulness. But it's saying to the people of Israel, you're cut off. You're alienated. Your identity has been lost. You're no longer my people. A country is going into exile with their identity lost and ultimate safety torn out. This is nothing but bleak. And then, let me try and look it up in Hosea, as I should have done uh, before we started. Or let it, uh, look it up in uh, Eugene Peterson. But then, by the way, this morning's series was to stop there at one point. That would have been cheery. And I thought, I can't do it. But right at the end of the chapter, as if the writer here says, I can't do it. We get out of the blue in verses 10 and 11. This incredible crashing in. This interruption this light coming through the cracks as Leonard Cohen taught us earlier in the year. But down the road, the population of Israel is going to explode past counting like sand on the ocean beaches. In the very place where they were once named nobody, they will be named God's somebody. Everybody in Judah and everybody in Israel will be assembled as one people. They'll choose a single leader. There'll be no stopping them. A great day in Jezreel. Rename the brothers God's somebody. Rename your sisters all mercy. Whoa, where does this come from? This is against the run of everything that's going on up until this point. And suddenly God breaks in with the reality of the state of chassis they're in. And something that says to us, but I'm God. And grace is at my core. And even though they're not loved, and even though they're not my people, I love them. And I'm going to make them my people. Now, some would say that there are moments in pre-Christ times when Judah and Israel maybe got it together 
vaguely or whatever that might be seen as some fulfillment of this. But we from 2011, um, the seed of Abraham into the new church that was founded in the New Testament, want to read it maybe with the exposition of Paul from Romans chapter 9. He says in verse 22 of Romans 9, What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And Paul takes this verse in Hosea and shows it to be us. God will show his mercy. God will pour out his grace. And there will be a people who will know that in the depths of their being as individuals and in the depths of their community and in the depths of their missional intent. Another favorite singer of mine, Rich Mullins, has a line that says, sometimes I think of Abraham, how one star he saw had been lit for me. Hosea here goes back to this promise that Abraham was given. When Abraham went out childless and he looked up at the sky and God said to him, count the stars. And Abraham goes, are you kidding? There's not even calculators these days. And he said, no, count the stars. He says, Tom Miller's not even born yet. He says, count the stars because that is going to be your descendants. And when Abraham looked at the stars, he saw me and you, the descendants who will be his people, who will be loved, who will turn it around in his name. And we're back to the name for a girl and a thought that can change the world. When I heard the song and listened to Bono being interviewed and he said it was about Jubilee 2000, I said, oh, come. Sort it out, you wee Dubliner, yeah. That song's not about Africa or social justice. It's about the doctrine of grace. Making beauty out of ugly things, as it says. Making goodness out of everything, as it says. It's a doctrine of how we come to faith. And then I realized Stockman's wrong. The wee Balaminer's wrong. A thought that can change the world takes grace out of just an invitation in to the kingdom of God to be the engine of the kingdom of God. The grace, as Jonathan shared it, of how God forgives him on a daily basis has to be worked through in Jonathan's life, in my life, in all of our lives to show the same grace in the world that we live in. And so that thought will change the world. When that email went up on Facebook, it talked very honestly, I think Jonathan was more subjective and I think a little bit more theologically astute than this. 
But it said, how can we forgive people instead of bringing them justice? And I had to go back and say, look, for David Latimer, for Jonathan Abernethy Barclay, for Steve Stockman, for all of us in the faith, grace is the very thing that we battle for in Reformation. And not to reach across the divide to our nationalist, Republican, or Catholic brothers and sisters is actually a compromise of our Protestantism. I think there's a squeaky view of the Catholic Church's view of grace in that statement, but it's a Northern Ireland kind of default. But Jesus said, Father, forgive them, and they don't know what they're doing. Follow me. Grace. A thought that can change the world. And so we read here in Luke chapter 6, earlier. So Jonathan tells us in his own life that it's easy to carry the cross when it's easy. When life's okay. But when it starts to weigh you down and you start to feel the pain of it. And when you start to feel the injustices against you. And when you sense that void of loss and tragedy then sadly humans call for justice and God asks us to forgive it's just there now what is the state of our nation is it in a state of chassis have we been unfaithful to the doctrines like grace if we'd been faithful to it couldn't I have gone last night would I be worried about the misinterpretations surely a nation would have been saying go so we've got to ask as we go through Hosea what are the things about the unfaithfulness we find here? The moving away from religious truth and all kinds of other things that maybe speak into who we are as we try to create a new nation, a new Ireland. Whatever way we think politically and border-wise that should be in the kingdom. In the kingdom. There should be no more Jezreels. There should be lots of mercy. And we should find how we can draw and embrace the people of God under Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Martin McGuinness said this weekend, I see unionists as brothers and sisters to be loved and cherished as we continue to develop a genuine process of reconciliation on our journey to a new republic. Lord, may we see those across our political divide as brothers and sisters to be loved and cherished as we continue to develop a process of reconciliation on our way to the kingdom of God. Speak to his Lord.
even by the names of children. Thoughts that can change the world. Change ours. In Christ's name. Amen.